the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We're always so pleased when you join us. Here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Pete Paquette, our engineer, he's pleased when you join us. And so is Andrew Herdliska, the producer of the show. Greg Wark is in Nashville. He's our first guest, author of The Warfighter's Soul, engaging in the battle for the warrior's soul. Greg, welcome to Orlando. It's uh, so nice to chat with you. Great to be with you. Thanks for hosting. Greg, uh, how did this book come about? Why was it important for you to write it? Well, for the past 28 years, I've worked with solely with um, special operators across the country and um, uh, in a mentoring kind of a relationship. And so I've had, uh, had an amazing run, uh, and I'm still really working heavily with military uh, one of the concerns uh, that I began to see is the rise in suicide among the veterans has gotten completely ridiculous. It's just a, it's a mm. catastrophe. And um, that, now that is specifically important because we have a VA that is treating them with drugs. We have all sorts of things that are being attempted that aren't helping. They're, they're, it's getting worse. And then we pull them out of Afghanistan, we drop them into civilian life and expect them to do good. Uh, and they're doing just the opposite. So I decided that rather than be a guy that just talks about the problem, I'd rather be somebody that produces answers that have been developed over the 28 years I've, I've been working with military personnel. We pulled hundreds, if not thousands, out of suicidal ideations, helping them deal with combat trauma, etc. So I figured, okay, if the stuff we're doing works, then it needs to be available to anybody and everybody uh, so that they can they can see that there is still hope and there's still a reason for their life on this earth. Greg, your book breaks down into five parts. Part one is called The Warfighter's Soul, and uh, you write about the oath and power of words, the invisible wounds, warfighter's faith, society's unpaid debt, Tell us about part one of your book. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, so uh, to break it down, um, you know, the warfighter, the, one of the things that, of course, many of, the, of your listeners believe is that they would be the um, eyes of the mirror of the soul. And um, one of the, the blessings I have is I'm able to see these young people come in and volunteer to sacrifice everything 
for the freedoms of this country. I'm able to watch them come in, and then I'm able to engage them and have a relationship with them after they have served and been in combat and things of that, things of that nature. And nothing uh, testifies more of the difficulty of the job they've chosen than when they come home from combat and you look in their eyes and you realize their eyes have changed. Most people don't understand that war changes those who fight it, and it changes them forever. Uh, when you see that the eyes are different, and I mean really different, it shows or betrays something going on inside that the majority of humanity does not have a grasp on. And so if we do not embrace the issues related to the soul with the warfighter, then we're essentially leaving them to suffer. Many of them suffer for life, and some take their life due to that. If we don't look into the soul and we don't help the soul deal with what's gone on, then we're essentially ignoring our responsibility as a society to help those who pay the price for what we have. Most of us don't understand that there's only been 27 years in American history where there's not been war. So that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of devotion that men and women have given to this country. And for us to approach, let's say, Veterans Day and to not understand that Veterans Day is a, it, it is a hallowed day where we remember the sacrifice that has been laid down for the for the freedoms we endure, we're doing a disservice to those who have paid the highest price. Now, uh, Greg, I want you to explain to us part two uh, called Detection, Signs and Syndromes. What are you writing there? Well, that's a pretty uh, extensive chapter. And what I did is uh, I took from my experience. I did not write it from a psychological point of view, although it is. Uh, it does touch on the psychology, but basically what as a family member or what as a loved one should I look for in someone who is considering to take their own life? First off, I want to say that a lot of uh, us don't realize why are veterans uh, so willing to take their own life, and I think it's important that you understand that it is a very, unfortunately, simple reason. They're not afraid to die. And, and one of the things that happens when they come back from war is uh, they go from a very regimented, a very disciplined, a very, a very tough environment where they're told to suck it up, where they're told to just deal with it. We're all dealing with it. And they basically have this camaraderie. And they take that individual that's been in that, this family where they all suffer together, and as a result, they're all better together. They fight together, they bleed together, they, they cry together, they did, all that is together. But they take those individuals and suddenly plop them down in the midst of a society that is, is uh, pretty much more screwed up than any time I've ever, ever seen. And they put these individuals there. And there's a great movie uh, where a bomb tech is uh, in Iraq taking, you know, diffusing all of these IEDs, and then all of a sudden he's, he's home, and he goes to the shopping center with his wife, and she sends him to get cereal. So he walks down the aisle where there's nothing but cereal, and he cannot make a decision what cereal to choose. So this guy goes from this unbelievable job diffusing bombs to not even be able to, being able to function in a grocery store. That's what happens. And so... Um, 
when I write signs and syndromes, I want to equip people to understand what it is to look for when I uh, am engaged with a warfighter and how to know when they're in trouble so that I can help them reach out. My guest in Nashville, Tennessee, is Greg Wark, and we're talking about his book, The Warfighter's Soul. Part three, Greg, Relief and Recovery, and you write about psychological first aid and speaking a new language and the power of a listener. Um, uh, Unravel all that for us. Well, um, you know, we actually have introduced this through my company. I own an international security firm, and we actually have begun to introduce psychological first aid, something most people have never really heard of. But essentially, it's it's this that um, you know, if somebody were to walk in the board into their work and they were to be ble- let's say bleeding from the arm profusely, um, there would be an instant reaction by everybody involved that they'd put a tourniquet on it. They would essentially call nine one one. They would put they would do everything they could to get that person to to first first aid to get them to the hospital so their life can be saved. But we don't do that with psychology. So psychology is basically you go to work, you've just been through the worst traumatic event, you're, you've lost somebody, um, you've been fighting with your wife, you're dealing with uh, alcoholism or drug abuse, you just walk into your work and nobody ever cares or even thinks about how you're doing psychologically, and which, of course, affects your ability to be productive. It affects everything. Well, as it relates to the military person, we have come to realize that all trauma has something in common. Trauma is like if you were to, say, put your hand in front of your face and spread your fingers and you look through your fingers at everything, you, you have an obstacle. And that obstacle is defining every single thing you look at, everything you think, what you think of yourself, what you think of your family, what you think of your future, etc. That's what trauma does, no matter whether you were molested as a child or otherwise. Psychological first aid essentially restructures the trauma so that it's no longer in that hand in front of your face, but rather it's memory. And once it becomes a memory, you are then able to confront the pattern that's been developed through that trauma and then then ultimately see the purpose for which you were born. So that's kind of how that all adds up. It's I that was about as quick a version as I could make up for that. My guest is Greg Wark. Uh, he's in Nashville. The book, The Warfighter's Soul. Greg, uh, part four. Uh, you call application, and then you write a, about building memorials and changing the pattern and taking life back. Uh, explain all that. Well, uh, it's interesting you ask that. I, um, most of the uh, treatments that uh, we've come up with, I received in unique places, and then I applied them. Um, I happen to travel the world prolifically. We do a lot of work in war zones and things of that nature. This particular time, I happen to be sitting uh, between a production on the mountain overlooking the Jordan River in Israel. And so I began to kind of go off into a daze of, uh, you know, remembering all the history behind the Jordan River. 
And uh, you know the story is is that uh, the, the Israelites came out of the desert and they entered into into Canaan, which of course is supposed to be their promised land. And the first thing that, that they're told to do when they cross over Jordan is to stop and build a memorial. And so essentially what happened is is that and, and we don't we don't think about this, but a memorial is not just a, an, an identification of an end to something. It's also the identification of the beginning of something else. So even if you have a loved one who dies, that person who you're having a memorial for is not just ended their life here. They've begun their life in eternity. Well, what we've done is uh, we've essentially, we teach people to build memorials to the, to the traumatic issues related to their life. We, we bring them through a process of, of ending the power of something and establishing a new beginning so that whenever they start to feel like they did before, they look back and they say, no, that's my memorial. That's those rocks in the Jordan River are where I took back the power of freedom. So that's kind of how that works. It's a it's a very emotional time when we bring people through that because they actually go through a process of renunciation. Renunciation is saying to the things that are controlling your life, I renounce your ability to have any control over my destiny from this minute forward. And essentially, it becomes a reminder, like it did to Israel while they entered into Canaan. They still had fights to fight. They still had things to deal with. But when they looked back, that was the marker. That's where God delivered me. That's where I became free. And that's what that's all about. Tell me about your background. I'm, I'm intrigued with that, Greg. How did life start for you and where? Well, I, um, I actually... Uh, Went to. I started out with wanting to be a wildlife biologist. Ended up with a master's and a doctorate in ministry, a master's in theology and a doctorate in ministry, and went out to try to plant churches. So I did it. Went to seminary, learned how to plant churches. Was pretty good at it. And um, but every time they got big, I kind of got bored. Um, so I do it again. I go plant another church. Same thing had happened. One day, television producer in one of my churches uh, asked me if I would want to go with him and shoot a video production at the Navy SEAL compound or the Bud's compound in Coronado, California. Now, like most most pastors, you can go somewhere and get an illustration, you're you're happy. So I figured, okay, I'll go just to get an illustration. Um, uh, but the opposite kind of happened. I ended up on that compound. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen human beings doing the things that I saw those hundreds of uh Navy SEALs and BUD students doing. And uh, one, something happened that you might think is offensive, and maybe it would be to most people, but I was in the back of a truck as we were, as the, everybody was running. So these guys would run four miles on the beach and then get in the ocean and swim four miles back. And so I'm in the back of a pickup truck with a bunch of other people are calling me, Pastor Greg and Dr. Wark and stuff like that. And the Navy SEAL that was back there with us was just snarling at me. And so when he said, he told everybody, he said, let's get everybody get out of the truck. We're going over here, you know, and then everybody walked away. And I was kind of setting my gaze on the swimmers. And he comes around the back and he says, hey, you, hey, stupid, get out of the truck. I told you to get out of the truck. And I'm like, awesome. That was awesome. You know, just something about the brutal communication 
the total honesty, even though it was in many people's disrespectful, it was like God right in that moment said to me, this is, these are, this is your mission field. And so uh, that was 28 years ago, and I haven't stopped since working with them full time. Greg Wark is our guest, the book, The Warfighter's Soul. We have another segment with Greg. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Greg Wark uh, is in Nashville. He's uh, written a book called The Warfighter's Soul. And Greg, we have arrived at part five, and it's called The Cause. Elements in the battleground, morals, the law, UCMJ, and ROES, causation, and soul at risk, a renovated life. Boy, there's a lot there, and I want you to explain it to us. Well, uh, my friend, Pat, it's, um, it's the ultimate goal of this book to produce something that, um, um, you know, a renovated life, of course, you use the word renovation. It's like renovating a house. It's like taking something that's really falling apart and it's actually putting it together and making it strong again and actually making people look, can't believe what it was and what it's become. And that is kind of what it's like to implement the uh, treatments that we have in the warfighter's soul. Uh, we have seen, it's interesting, I have, I see this up front almost every day. I was in San Diego with a Delta Force legend um, who I, I'm seeing it as we speak. Um, also another a Navy SEAL in, in, in just a few days ago. Yesterday I was in Dallas at the Special Operations uh, Banquet, seeing it happen among these seasoned warriors where they, they show up and they meet you and you start to talk to them and they start to see the potential for their freedom ahead. Um, it's one of the greatest blessings and gifts that I could ever imagine that God allowed me to be part of renovating the lives of the lives of those who um, who give so much, so selflessly, and and not not only them, but also the lives of their families. Oftentimes, these individuals come home and they they start drinking and they start they they're angry. Uh, they their marriages begin to, to break down, and it's wonderful to be able to see first the life of the warfighter changed and then the things that have been being torn down uh, begin to be renovated. And, and all of a sudden people are looking at this individual and they're saying, I cannot believe, I love that term. I cannot believe because it, it underscores the power of what, can be done when you instill hope into someone who is hopeless. People who are hopeless, they act hopeless. They do things that are desperate. Um, they're hurting. They don't know how to fix it. The, the VA promised them that they'd fix it, and they only made it worse. Uh, people give them platitudes. Often counseling is nothing more than platitudes. I've even heard it said, what a coward to commit suicide. Nothing could be further from the truth. That is a terrible statement. 
and one that should never be made, regardless of whether the person is in the military or not. Uh, suicide is a byproduct of, of deep, deep depression. It's a suicide of somebody who's buried so deep that they cannot even see a reason to live. That is a horrible place to be. But it is a place that we have taken on, and we've determined with everything that's in us to, to work to help people come out of that deep, dark hole so that they can once again see that they were created with a purpose in mind, and they can go on and live it. My guest is Greg Wark, and he's written a book, The Warfighter's Soul. Greg, what do you want readers to take from your book? I would use one word, hope. Hope. I want the families to to see hope. I want the sufferer to see hope. And I want society to see hope for those who are suffering. That's the one word and the most important word. Hope is life. It brings people to a place where they once again understand that they're valuable. And, and uh, you know, I've, Pat, I've been able to look into the eyes of thousands of these individuals. And the one thing I always say when I'm with them is when I'm done, I walk away and I say, I'm proud of you. I want them to understand their value, regardless of what they see. The other day I was with a young guy, and he was basically telling me all the different things that are messed up in his life. And I looked at him and I said, okay, th- those, those are realities right now, but those are the things we're going to take on. And it's, there was like this glimmer. It was like he was saying, can I move where you, where you are? And I said, listen, I don't want you to rely on me. I want you to rely on your ability to follow through with these things, these things that we've put in this book, and then to join a group of people, Warfighter Soul, we're putting together groups all over the country where you can meet with other people that are experiencing the healing that is made available. Greg, uh, one thing uh, uh, at the very, very beginning of your book, and we didn't talk about it, uh, you open with one word, and the word is inspiration. Uh, Tell us more about that word and why it leads off your book. Well, um, I don't think it's possible for someone to fix a problem as massive as suicide among our veterans without inspiration. Uh, And I'm talking about transrational inspiration. I'm talking about something beyond human capacity, because human beings have tried a lot of different things, but it hasn't worked. So... The inspiration is the the only way that someone is going to come up with the answer to life's problems, regardless of where it comes from, is to look beyond ourselves, to look way beyond ourselves. We're so limited. We're finite. We're fallen people. But we look beyond ourselves, and we, we, we say to ourselves, I cannot do this, but I do know the one who can. And that ultimately is who I rely on for the understanding, the inspiration, and the how to, and the understanding of implementation of these different treatments that we put in the book. It's all because of the inspiration of the one who knows all things. Greg, what's the difference between inspiration and motivation? 
Well, I think a lot of people get inspired, Pat, and I think, uh, you know, to do this or that, but uh, a lot of people are inspired to do things, but they just won't, uh, they just won't find the motivation to, to go through with it. I got to tell you something, writing a book that just, it, it took me three years to write this book. Um, and, you know, I never, I've written a few books before, but never one that's published uh, by Broad Street, never one that touched on issues like this. You know, it's one thing to be inspired. So how many times have we been inspired to lose weight? Um, you know, personally, I've struggled with it, uh, but I recently figured some things out, and I'm right where I, I'm supposed to be. But it took me being having health issues to motivate me. Uh, you know, that's not the way it has to be. Motivation comes with a decision. Decision translates into energy. And energy creates what you're inspired to do. Mm. I want you to say uh, that. That's fascinating. I want you to say that again a little slower. I'm going to write it down. Motor, uh, just okay. go ahead. So motivation, uh, it, it, I'm, I'm not sure the, what part, but motivation needs to become energy. And energy is, a, is what is necessary for us to act on what we're inspired to do. You see, we are not just inspired just for the heck of it. We're inspired for the purpose of it. We're inspired to facilitate something that is bigger than us. And let me say that. When you are inspired and then you, that translates into energy and energy tr- translates into motivation, listen to me. You're going to do something that's bigger than you. Get used to that. That's part of the way it works. Everything I do in life is bigger than me. I shouldn't be where I am, but I am. And that's simply because I refuse to be inspired without being motivated. Boy, that's a fascinating look at it. I've been thinking about that uh, those two words for a long time, Greg, and I think you uh, pinned it down for me. Um, folks, here's, here's what's just happened. Greg Wark has been our guest uh, talking about his book, The Warfighter's Soul engaging in the battle for the warrior's soul. Quite a visit with with Greg Wark. Uh, We've got more. Let me just explain what's going on here. Uh, You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And we gather like this uh, every Saturday uh, right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. And you want to stay tuned to those stations. I mean... Nonstop all day long. We'll be right back. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Great work. Uh, our guest in that first segment, talking about his book, The Warfighter's Soul. Uh, Greg was in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, we go from Nashville to Dallas, Texas. We found John Michael Hinton, magician, storyteller, author of Imaginate, Unlocking Your Purpose with Creativity and Collaboration. Uh, John Michael, so nice to catch up with you. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Great to be here. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, tell me um, about this book and why you wanted to write it, and why is it meaningful to you? You know, um, I I love that God gave us 
such amazing talents and gifts and creativity. Um, and, and it's right there in the sub in the subtitle, right? Like uh, unlocking your purpose through creativity and collaboration. And he gave us all this, but it's not that he just gave it to us. He wanted us to work in collaboration, both with each other and with him. And I really think there's truly an inner exchange of the divine when we can use the things that God has given us uh, to make this world a better place, to make beautiful things in this world, to bless other people, um, and then also, uh, you know, to do it in honor of Him, um, that that whole old concept of doing it for an audience of one, if you will. Um, and also the whole fact that God wants to do it in collaboration with us. Like, how awesome is that, that God didn't just give us this stuff and leave, right? That He actually wants to hang out with us. He wants to do things with us. Uh, let's dive into the meat of your book, John Michael. Uh, you open with a chapter, and it's a quote. It must have been fun. Um, who's the quote from, and what's it mean? Oh, so um, I have been married now for 16-some years, and the best ideas I have, honestly, come from my wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, we joke all the time. Anytime she's like, wow, that was a really good idea. I'm like, well, it's me. She's like, oh, I know. Um, but, um, one idea she had is I said, Hey, you know, honey, I'll, I'll take you wherever you want. I had some, some airline miles built up. I said, where, wherever you want to go, we'll go. She said, well, let's go to Rome. I said, yes, ma'am. Uh, and it, by the way, if anybody has a chance to go to Rome, I highly recommend it. Um, just go. It's worth it from the food to the sites. It's just, it's just so fun. But so we went to Rome and, you know, we we're doing all the typical tourist things, and one of those, of course, is going to the Sistine Chapel. And, and you know, I would, I, I would, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't excited about it. Um, <laughs> I know I should be. It's amazing. Michelangelo did it. You have the, the picture of God reaching down and touching man's finger, if you've seen those in the art books. Um, but I've seen a lot of chapels in my day. I've, I've gotten the honor and privilege of traveling the world. Um, I grew up literally traveling the world. Um, I grew up overseas, so just I've seen a lot of chapels. So I was like, you know, the Sistine Chapel would be nice, but I, I was more excited about getting to the Coliseum and, and honestly getting to some more gelato. <laughs> um, but we went to the Sistine Chapel, and as soon as I entered the 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 chapel, that right before there's this big staircase that's like honestly it's uneven stairs. Um, and it's almost like a fat man squeeze, like you have to really, at one person at a time, real slow. But then when I walked in, I immediately knew I was wrong. And it was like somebody hooked up a shot back to my lungs and turned it on high, and my breath was just taken away, like this sucked out of my lungs. Just, whoa, like, oh, that was amazing. Like, and so for two and a half hours, my wife and I were staring at the ceiling, and I don't know if you know much about the Sistine Chapel. If you don't, the ceiling is done by Michelangelo, but it's the six-day creation story, and it's just so gorgeous. So we have our we have our earbuds in. We're listening to Rick Steves uh, Steves audio guide all about it, and you know we're finding out like, wow, okay, so that's that, and that's that, and that's that. And that's, you know, we're we're enjoying all this, and then my wife leans over to me and says this quote, you know, it must have been fun. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what? What? What do you mean it must have been fun? And she said, God when he created all this, I bet he had a good time. And I'll be honest, I've never thought about God creating stuff and enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy, because I'm a creative. I love creating stuff. I love uh, doing arts and 
crafts and all that other stuff. But I always pictured God, honestly, probably like we, we have him up there on the uh, in the Sistine Chapel, where he has this stoic white beard and he has this you know very straight face and you know let there be light and it is good and you know almost like I guess this is what I'm doing today. Uh, let there be birds, it's good. Let there be grasses and trees, it's good. Let there be man, it's good. Um, it, it's by saying, I mean, it must have been fun. What if when God created us, and uh, go with me here, um, what if when God created us, he stepped back and he smiled? Like, I don't know about you, but whenever I truly am able to create something amazing, or um, I see my kids create something amazing, or you know, it's almost like you have to step back and like, oh, come look at this. Oh, look at this. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, look at this. That was cool. And it just honestly opened my eyes that, you know, that I bet God actually enjoyed creating us. And then after he created us, he stepped back and was like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. Look at that. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? Um, and I think that's how God views us. And honestly, it, it gave me kind of a whole new vision of the, the entire creation story. My my guest is John Michael Hinton. We're talking about his book, Imaginate. Topic number two, John, it's uh, about the artist. What are you writing there? Um, yeah, you know, about the artist, he's kind of just saying, okay, so if God did have a good time, like, let's, let's look at, you know, what God tells us about himself. The first thing God tells us is that he is a creative, um, that he is an artist. Um, it said that God, first thing we know, God created. That means he likes to do stuff. Um, and sometimes I think we're like, okay, God is awesome. Yes. God is all powerful. Yes. But God is created himself. And if we're created in God's image, then that means that we are also all creative. I think some people aren't sure if they're creative. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm more of a sports guy or Maybe I have a friend who's a dentist. He's like, I, I'm not. I'm not a creative. I'm sorry. Uh, you can't tell me that my friend who's a dentist, who's able to um, dig out all the junk in our teeth and then pack back in to stop the infection without hurting my nerve, <laughs> like the delicateness and everything, and the way he's able to reconstruct that tooth. Man, it's so creative. It's so interesting. And then I, I mean, I love baseball, and it's just by watching how somebody pitches a ball and the the grip to how many different ways they can hold it and throw it and how it can come out of their hand. There's so much creativity in that. And I think the, the movies have tried to lie to us and say, you know what, they're either, you're either in one category or another, you're either a creative or you're a jock or you're a mathematician or no, 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 no. <laughs> All of it is creative. And if God is a creative and he created us in his image as um, I, I, kind of coined the term, he has his self-portrait, that when people look at us, they can see him, then that means that we are also creative. Let's get to topic three. You call it temporary art. What's that mean? Yeah, you know, um, I have, this is one of the things that honestly, when I was writing, it gave me a, a whole new passion for kind of a, uh, a topic of art, a, a genre of art that I hadn't really thought about too much. Um, there's this whole genre of art with temporary art, whether that be sandcastles or um, art sculptures, or there's even people who paint with water on on concrete. And, um, you know, whether it's that or even a chalk picture, it's this idea that, you know what, there's going to be beautiful art, um, 
but it's only going to be for a little bit. The, uh, the ice is going to melt. The, um, the weather is going to come and knock over the city capital. The, the water on the, on the concrete is going to heat up and it's going to disappear. And in a sense, you have to be present to really experience it. And I think it's not just true in what we can do, but also it's true in creation. Um, think about a wave as it's forming before it hits the sand in the ocean. There is amazing art. If you could just pause that moment, a sunset, a rainbow, like there are so much. And I think it reminds us that, man, we have to be present and realize that creativity is going on and on. But more than that, and this is what really hit me, is that God is continuously creating. And that's um, a big sign to me that he didn't just create this world and leap. Like he is continuously creating every single night. He paints a new sunset. Every single morning, he paints a sunrise. Every single day, he's making leaves turn different colors or grass grow or, or grass, um, you know, turn brown. And the fact that he is continuously creating, to me, points to the fact that he didn't us. He's still here. He still wants. Now, <clears throat> my guest <clears throat> is... Um... <clears throat> John Michael Hinton, he's in Dallas, Texas. <clears throat> We're talking about his book, Imaginate, Unlocking Your Purpose with Creativity and Collaboration. Um, John Michael, tell us about a collaborative self-portrait that you write in Chapter 4. Yeah, you know, I kind of alluded to it in uh, from Chapter 1, but then I kind of really dive into it in Chapter 4 about that, you know, God put his spirit in us. Um, you know, the word for breath, um, you know, that he uses in Genesis literally means that he, in a sense, he put, grabbed our, um, Adam's cheeks and he put his mouth over his nose and mouth and breathed into him. Um, he breathed his spirit, his breath, his being, um, and, you know, that we are, in a sense, his offspring, for in him, you know, we live and move and have our being, um, and that we are unique and the rest of the animal kingdom because of this, right? Um, and that he really wants to, like, just like he did with Adam, he walked with Adam in the garden, and he's not finished with us. He wants to continuously do things with us. And that's kind of um, the whole point of that chapter is trying to dive in and say, man, let's, let's actually do this with him, that it's, he wants to collab with us. What about the fifth topic? It's called a dream realized. Yeah, you know, uh, I realized at the age of six that I wanted to be a uh, magician, um, an illusionist, do magic. For, <laughs> I don't know who decides that. Um, I think it's more that I, I love, love, love um, being on stage. Um, but part of that love of being uh, for magic, uh, one of the first things you know, every magician does is take up a deck of cards and learn how to shuffle those cards. Um, even eventually learn how to do cardistry, which is kind of, um, juggling with cards and doing art with cards. Uh, and so with that, just thinking, man, how could I, how, how could I one day maybe have my own deck? How could I, could I ever create my own deck? So honestly, uh, it was a several year process. It was working, with other people, um, and um, 
finally getting to create this deck of cards that I released this last January. It's called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I kind of walk through the steps in there. And um, honestly, <laughs> in this chapter, I geek out way too much about pieces of uh, cardboard or pieces of paper that, have, that we can play games and do magic tricks with. And after this whole process of creating a deck of cards, I had to stop and kind of step back and marvel at this because if I cared this much, <laughs> and like I said, I got geeky. There was, there was one point that uh, my co-author, uh, Tim Caster, uh, who's a great guy and helped me out so much um, in writing this, he said, John, nobody's going to care unless they're printing their own deck of cards. You went way too deep into how to do this. <laughs> and uh, it was like, okay, okay, I have to step back uh, and do this. But if I care this much about pieces of paper that are in a box that we can play games with or, or you know, uh, do magic tricks with, how much more does God care about his creation? Like, we're, you know, I, the, all the uh, paper that I use are from his trees. All the ink that we use on the cards are, you know, from, from his, I don't know where he comes from, but <laughs> whatever the minerals are that make up ink. Like, he created all the stuff that we're using to do other things, and if that's how much I care about cards, and more, and I think, uh, does he care about his creation? And I think, in a sense, I, my, what I kind of end with is, man, can, what, what parts of creation amaze you? And what parts of creation can you step back and say, man, God, thank you for all that? John Michael Hinton is our guest. We have another segment with John. Stay with us. He's a magician and storyteller and the author of Imaginate, Unlocking Your Purpose with Creativity and Collaboration. Uh, You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We've been doing this show a long time, and we're always so grateful uh, when you uh, join us. Um, And this, of course, is AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back with John Michael Hinton. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. John Michael Hinton joins us from... Dallas, Texas, we're talking about his book, Imaginate. <clears throat> and, John, the next topic I want you to talk about is topic six, art is essential. Yeah, uh, you know, I think some people, maybe it's just because I'm an artist, I'm a creative, um, but not everyone, I think people think, okay, art's cool, but is it truly an essential? And that word essential has meant a whole lot more to us in the last couple of years, hasn't it? Uh, we defined everything as essential or not essential. And during the whole pandemic, um, my my wife and my three children, we moved to Dallas, Texas. And, you know, when school started to open back up, my daughter would go to school, my son would go to school, and, you know, they're masked up. But then my daughter was part of choir. She's always loved choir. And she, in choir, uh, they because of, you know, you're singing, you're, you're, you're expelling a lot of moisture and breath out of your mouth. They had to both wear masks and face shields and have no more in their class than five, um, maybe six. But listen, that's not a choir. That's a singing group. That's, that's a, that's a, uh, a six people. That'd be a sextet or uh, seven people would be a septet, right? Like, that's not a choir. 
And so honestly, when I heard this, I was like, is it even, is there a point to even being quiet this year? And then, um, I was totally proven wrong when her, uh, she came home one day with her choir shirt and her choir shirt, uh, in big, bold, white letters, it said, singing is essential. And honestly, it made me go, right, of course, of course, singing is essential. Art is essential. Dancing is essential. Poetry is essential because God gave us this beautiful ability to express. Um, I love the Michelangelo quote. He says, the true work of art is but a shadow of the divine perfection and that we can express um, what God has given us in this world. And so, um, yeah, I really think art is essential. What about finding creativity? That's your next subject. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's what a lot of people have asked me about is that how do I, how do I find creativity? Like to the person who's like, Oh, I'm not creative. Like I, I know. Okay. I, I buy it. That art is essential. And yes, and God, it made us creative, but I sure don't feel that way. Um, I would say if you feel, don't feel that way, then really seek him after that. Right? Like God said, Whoever seeks wisdom, whoever seeks stuff, come to me, and I will, I'll give it to them. Um, it makes me think back to the, the garden with Adam. Um, one of Adam's first jobs was to name all of the animals, right? Um, and <laughs> I can't only imagine what, honestly, divine creativity had to become to him. Um, I mean, at first, you know, I'm sure it was, it was, it was easier. Okay, um, that's a cheetah. Uh, that, that's uh, a Pharaoh. But after a while, he's naming more birds, and he's like, I don't know, a, a bluebird, uh, a red bird, uh, you know. Maybe even thinking about whales, like, uh, I don't know, uh, that's a blue whale. Ooh, that was scary. That's a killer whale. You know, like, what, what, um, and obviously we're joking, I'm joking around here in English. Uh, he probably didn't even speak English, but, man, how to name all those animals. Um, I have this great picture that actually inside the book, I have a lot of different, like, almost word pictures, if you will, that my wife, she's a hand letterist, and she put it in its most creative animal names. Let me share a couple of those with you, because I think that's just uh, kind of funny. There's one called a Screaming Hairy Armadillo. Like, that's an actual name. Uh, here's another one. It's a Wonderpuss Photogenic, um, or a Norwal, <laughs> um, a Pleasing Fungus beetle. I don't know what's pleasing about that, but uh, or a sparkle muffin. Uh, we have all these names, right? Because we have all these creatures that God gave us, and so apparently we were supposed to name them because that's one of our first jobs. Um, all that to say, God said that, like I uh, like I already mentioned, He will give us wisdom. He will giving give us all this. Um, so we really need to. If we don't feel creative or we need that help, what's great is we have a God who wants to collab with us, who wants to say, hey. That's why I gave you my spirit. That's so honestly to seek him and say, Hey, I need your help in this. And he promises he will not ignore us. He wants to be there with us. Now, John Michael, topic eight, painting over all the walls. Explain. (laughs) Yeah. um, This is not a fun, this is just an honest chapter. This isn't the fun chapter. Everything else has been, you know, hey, let's have some fun. Let's be creative. Um, when we were designing uh, my office, my <coughs> wife and I, my wife's a creative. I just, I, I'm, I just do the work uh, <laughs> uh, when it comes to decorating. And um, 
it's like and we over and over because we're DIYing or we're new to DIYing, and it's like okay, we do something, but then we'd have to stop and redo it, and then we'd have to stop and redo it. Um, one of the things that we wrote while we were working on our house a lot is we created this whole back patio with um, these these big pavers and then all these little rocks. And um, after we put all the little rocks in, and you know, this is hours and sweat and um, sweat equity, if you will. And after we were done, we both stepped back and went, huh? Uh, well, I mean, and we both wanted to say something positive. You know, we worked really hard, but neither one of us liked it. And we went, you know what? Let's just go to bed tonight. We'll wake up. I'm sure we'll feel better about the morning. We woke up the next morning and neither one of us wanted to even talk to the other person about it because both of us knew it's horrible. And we're like, so what do we do? Like, I mean, do we live with it? Do we, what do we do? We realized we have to pull up the rock. Uh, we have to pull it all up. And obviously we did. We pulled it all up. We replaced another rock. Now we love our, our back patio. But there are things in our lives, if we're honest, and even if though we have put all of our effort into doing it, we know that it needs to be, it needs to be ripped out. It's there's there are parts of us that even if we strive and did it the best we could, it's 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 not working and it's not what God's best for us. And honestly, it's doing the hard work of saying, "Okay, God, I want to be the best version of myself that You created me to be," and that means I'm gonna have to rip out this rock. I'm gonna have to paint over the wall on this on these things and saying, "Okay, God," and you know, I'm in process. And I'll keep going until you're willing to, uh, you know, <laughs> God, show me the best way. And we have to sometimes rip out that rock. We have to be willing to paint over those walls. We have to be willing to do the hard work of digging out the junk in our lives. John Michael Hinton is our guest. We're talking about his book, Imaginate. And then you write a chapter, Art is Not Safe. Get, yep. uh, explain that, John. Yeah, you know, it's going right after the next chapter. It's that um, after we rip it out, what are we going to do? Well, the thing that's I, I talk about art and how it's it's not safe and kind of jump into that, but the big where we kind of land in this chapter is saying um, the hardest thing I think is being is being completely vulnerable with God and saying, okay, God, here's all the all the things in my life. What do you want to do with them? And that's really scary to say. Okay, what what what's your plan for me, God? Because we're scared that He's going to tell us to do something we don't want to do. Here's the good news: God's going to give you desires to do those things because God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He's already given you the stuff in you that um, what makes you up. So whether you think you want to do something or not, I bet once you actually start following God in ways that you might think, ah, I don't know if I want to do that, you might realize, wow, I was actually created to do this because God created you to do it. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we land with artisan space. And then I want you to explain the ignorant, uneducated art critic. Yeah, so this this is kind of where, this is the biggest chapter for me. Um, I I love Broadway. My wife loves Broadway. It's kind of our love language. I, I've, I've talked um, with the author of uh, the five love languages, Gary Chapman, behind out of marriage street said, I'm sorry, you, you missed one. Cause <laughs> my wife and I love Broadway. Uh, he's like, Oh, I think that's time spent. I said, no, it's Broadway. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, there's this thing in broad about Broadway and theater 
that is annoying. Um, it's kind of a necessary evil, and it's the art critic, right? Um, they, it's people who are theater educated, and and they write down their 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 um, critique of the show. And literally, Broadway shows have survived or closed the same night they opened because of a good review or a bad review. And you know that's that's necessary. But then there's another thing uh, where people critique critique art and stuff, and that's called YouTube. <laughs> and it's um, they're called internet trolls, where they're co- they'll get on and they'll put these comments on YouTube videos or on social media posts or whatever, and they'll just spew hate. They'll just spew grossness. And um, the thing is, unlike the Broadway art critics who are writing for the you know New York Times or whatever else. These are uneducated, often ignorant of the actual thing they're commenting on. Um, now take that with us. I don't know about you, but um, there's this guy who watches me brush my teeth every morning, and, and he is just not nice to me. Um, by the way, it's me. <laughs> I'm the guy. The guy in the mirror. It's not some creepy guy who stands over my shoulder. Uh, but when I'm, when I'm staring at myself in the mirror, and I'll start tearing myself down, or I'll start... Um, you know, and since all the lies come and I start believing and I start just criticizing myself. And the thing is, I'm criticizing something that, if we're really honest in the great scheme of things, I am an uneducated art critic. I'm like an internet troll when I tear myself down. Because the artist, the creator, has something completely different to say about me. In Ephesians um, 2.10, he says that we are his masterpiece or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So if the artist, if the master creator looks at us and says, you are my masterpiece, who are we to say, no, you're wrong? (laughs) We're some educated art critic to say that we are anything but his masterpiece. And so when the lies come, I think it's it's good to say, you know what, am I going to... Am I going to believe the uneducated art critic? John Michael Hinton has been our guest. His book, Imaginate, Unlocking Your Purpose with Creativity and Collaboration. We've got a one-minute wrap-up right after this. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Our guest, Greg Wark, and then John Michael Hinton. Uh, I just want to tell you about our latest book. It's out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. I wrote it with my friend Mark Atterbury. It's a 365-day a devotional uh, every day. It's a sports story, a sports theme, sports anecdote, and then that leads into the devotional meat of of each day. Uh, So when you're ordering books on Amazon, go up and order Every Day is Game Day. Pat Williams and Mark Atterbury put it together. I, I think you'll enjoy it. And we're still trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can help. Uh, go up to the website, orlandodreamers.com. We need to hear from you, orlandodreamers.com. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 
and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.